On this episode of Blue 58, people have been asking the Packers to upgrade at inside linebacker for a long time. But should the Packers actually listen? And if so, should they go with one named Devin? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another pre-draft episode. Before we talk about linebackers and a little bit more, I want to direct your attention to something exciting happening at Blue 58 and with the Power Sweep as a whole. We have followed suit with Brian Gutekunst and the Packers and have made a bit of a signing of our own. We're not paying them. They're actually coming on board with us. For 2019 and hopefully beyond, the Power Sweep and Blue 58 are going to be partnering with Ticket King to help you get tickets to Packers games. We're excited about this partnership. We're glad they have chosen to support us uh, and that they like what we've got going on here. And so if you would be so obliged, do us a solid. And the next time you buy Packers tickets, visit theticketking.com through the tickets link at our website and you'll be able to find out what they have going on there. And what a great time, too. The NFL schedule is out. Pick the game of your choice. I talked with a listener today who has uh, outlined three Packers games that he's going to go to, and not even all of them in Green Bay themselves. So if you want to follow the suit with them, visit theticketking, T-H-E-ticketking.com, to get your own tickets to Packers game this year. Inside linebackers, it's a tough one. It's a tough position to evaluate. It's a tough position for the Packers to weigh in terms of need because they don't need one, but more than even like running back or wide receiver, they don't, they especially don't not need one. They could really use a stud linebacker to go next to Blake Martinez. But figuring out who and more specifically what that player is or needs to be is a little bit trickier. Inside linebacker is tough. More broadly speaking, kind of off-the-ball linebacker. You're not talking about outside linebackers here, guys that are going to be rushing the passer on a regular basis. These are the guys that are not exclusively coverage linebackers, not exclusively run defenders, but they're not pass rushers. And it's hard, I think, in 2019 to figure out what these guys are. You could make the case, I think, that they're the running backs of the defense. They're valuable in their own way, but mostly because of scheme. Nobody's really sure the best way to use them, and depending on the personnel you have, there may not be a best way to use them. And it's tough to identify the best case scenario for the position as a whole. Complicating that is where you get one. I think with the uncertainty alone around how you use linebackers in 2019, it's probably hard to justify one super high. You're probably looking at the second round or so, unless you got somebody who's really, really special, who's never going to come down, come off the field at all. That's what the Bears believe they have in Roquan Smith, and it's easy to see why. If he plays the way he thinks they that he can play, he's probably never, ever going to come off the field. He can do everything against the run that you'd like him to do. He can do everything against the pass. He can cover just about whoever you want. He never has to come off the field. He is a three-down linebacker in the way that you were looking for three-down running backs. Unless it's somebody like Roquan Smith, I think it's hard to justify even taking one in the first round at all. Because Even if you're picking in the latter half of the first round, you can probably get depth at a more important position and still be investing your pick better 
than spending it on a guy who may not be on the field every down. It's probably more important to have depth on the offensive line, depth in the defensive backfield, depth in your edge rushing group, depth on the defensive line that it is to pick a linebacker in the 20s or early 30s who's going to only be on the field on first and second downs, or maybe just first downs even. Maybe not at all. Maybe just a rotational player if he can't cover super reliably. So let's drill down for a second at what you really need, or what are the kinds of linebackers that you can get in 2019. At the very least, I think if you're going to pick a linebacker, you need a guy who's going to mop up running plays, and not let anything get past him in the passing game. This is your classic, not screw it up for you type player. He may not bring a lot to the table for you, but he's not going to take anything off. Then you've got your mid-level guys. A guy who's going to mop up on running plays and probably cover tight ends. This is probably Blake Martinez. And that's not a knock on Blake Martinez. He sure does mop up a lot of running plays. But he's not exactly a coverage wonderkin. Uh, He's not really a tremendous athlete. He does a lot against the run, but he doesn't like destroy a ton of plays. He basically is absolutely solid at exactly what he is and absolutely nothing more. And all of that sounds like super harsh or maybe harsher criticism that is warranted against Blake Martinez. It's not. You need guys like that on your football team. And about any team in the NFL would happily take a guy who never screws up over a guy who makes two or three splash plays a game but also gives up one or two. You probably would prefer the guy who doesn't screw it up for you. You'll find other ways to make those splash plays. Then you've got the high-level players. A guy who's going to mop up running plays, cover tight ends, and running backs probably, and be a big-time nuisance for anybody else who's trying to run routes over the middle. Ideally, that's going to be your three-down linebacker, the guy who never has to come off the field. He's probably a little bit bigger than a defensive back or a safety or whatever, but he can run like a running back, like a tight end. These guys are going to be rare, and that's why it's probably not a super great idea to take one who isn't that high-level guy towards the end of the first round or even early second round. There are probably going to be some holes there. The thing about these responsibilities too, or these roles or whatever, is that you probably don't need the traditional Brian Urlacher type to get it done anymore. At least not in 2019. Because of the way the league is set up, you can probably do most of those things with a safety. The Packers are one of many teams who are trying to do that, at least in part, whatever you call it. The big nickel, the money backer, the nitro package, whatever Teams, including the Packers, are trying to do those jobs with defensive backs, safeties in particular. Unless you're going to get one of those guys that you think never has to come off the field and gives you a little bit of added size, you're probably not investing your resources as well as you could have as opposed to spending them on something else, some kind of depth at a more valuable position. I think there are only two linebackers we're talking about about in this year's draft. Because if you're going to take somebody outside of the first round, you might as well just take a safety and get some extra coverage responsibilities taken care of too. 
So let's talk about two of those inside linebackers. Both of them, as you might have guessed from the intro, are named Devin. Devin Bush of Michigan and Devin White of LSU. Of the two, Devin Bush would be the one that I would take. He looks and kind of plays like a chunky safety with extreme athleticism and a bad attitude, and I mean all of that in the best possible way. He's 5'11", 234 pounds, and runs in the low 4'4s in the 40-yard dash, posts a casual 40-and-a-half-inch vertical. His agility drill scores are like a wide receiver. He easily cleared 10 feet in the broad jump. He benched 21 reps for good measure. Whatever metric you look at, he's a pretty darn good athlete. If you look at mockdraftable.com, a website that's very handy for comparing players against similar players, the three of the six most six players with whom he is most athletically similar are running backs. He is a running back who happens to play on defense. Scouts say due to his size, he's going to get caught up in the crossfire or the wash at the line of scrimmage a little bit, which I don't think is a criticism unique to Bush. That's kind of a macro issue with these more hybrid linebacker types. And the philosophical question there is whether or not that matters to you. That's not a problem about Bush specifically. That's a question you have to answer if you're willing or if you're interested in going with these more hybrid linebacker types. Is that something that you're going to be okay with? Because it doesn't matter who they are. If you're 5'11 and 230 something pounds, you're not going to have a real great day when you're going against a six foot five, 335 pound guard. That just happens. That's going to happen to anybody. That's a tough ask for even much bigger traditionally built linebackers. So don't worry about stuff like that so much with the Devons, Devin Bush or Devin White. Of the two higher end linebackers, Bush gets the nod in coverage over Devin White, but neither of them really tend toward the safety side of the safety linebacker hybrid spectrum. And I think the question you have to ask with both Bush and White, and this is one that I don't have a good answer for, is not are they good in coverage for a linebacker. I think it's just are they good in coverage or not? Because it seems like with both White and Bush, or Bush and White, depending on the order you want to go in, you're probably going to have to spend the 12th overall pick if you're the Packers and you want one of these guys. Are you comfortable with a guy who may or not may or may not be a plus guy in coverage that high? Because in this draft, that's probably even high for a corner. There are not a ton of high-end corners in this draft. Are you comfortable getting guys who may not be the total package there? That'd be a big hurdle for me to clear. Let's move on and talk about Devin White at LSU. He is almost a carbon copy of Bush. So physically similar that it barely merits discussing the second guy's physical attributes. He's a little bit bigger. He's 6 feet tall, 237 pounds. A 4.42 versus a 4.43 in the 40. A little bit Lower elevation on the vertical leap, but not much, only an inch. A bit worse in the broad jump, a bit slower in the agility drills, but so similar, it barely matters. The difference to me between Bush and White is one word that seems to keep coming up with White. And it's maybe not this word specifically, but it's variations of this. And if you read enough scouting reports, you start to see, you know, players get described a certain way. And the the one thing that comes up with White is raw. 
or unfinished or maybe untapped potential. He's not so much a finished product. People seem to think he's still figuring out what he is as a player, which could be a bad thing or it could be kind of a tantalizing possibility. Either he's just scratching the surface of what he can be as a player, which is pretty great. He was phenomenally productive in college. Or he may never figure it out. We've seen guys like that in Green Bay. Guys that are great athletes. Looks like they're on the way up as they come into the NFL. And then they never really figure out how to apply that athleticism in a league where everybody is, if not the same, almost as athletic as they are. Is that where Devin White's going to end up? Probably not. He's that good of an athlete. But... Will he figure out how to be more than just an athlete in the NFL? You can also look at things the other way. If Devin Bush is a finished product, is he already at his ceiling? Can he take it to the next level in the NFL? I think that's a fair question too, and it's one that I don't really have an answer for. So if you're the Packers, what do you do here? I don't know. I tend to think you probably don't take a linebacker at 12th overall. And then I think you probably just don't worry about it from there. This doesn't seem like a slam dunk position of need for the Packers. And unless you're going to get a slam dunk player at 12, you're probably better off going with a different position. Of the two, Bush seems closer to a slam dunk. I'm just not quite sure he's there. If he was three inches taller... We probably wouldn't even be having this discussion because there's be, there'd be no chance that he'd be around at 12. But if he was a little bit bigger, had the same athleticism and skill set, then I think you'd have something. I know that's a big deal to make about two or three inches. But I think the Packers are probably not super inclined to take a linebacker there anyway. So I'm not super worried about it. Let's move on from linebackers. Let's talk instead about guys you're not quite sure about. We've used the term wild cards a lot in our draft preview series, and I'd kind of like to just dump three or four guys out on the table here and, and talk about them. Uh, two of them are edge rushers. One of them is a, uh, well, sort of do-it-all defensive guy, and the third, the fourth guy is, well, we're not really sure what he is, and that's kind of the point. These are guys that you're not quite sure about, guys that may not have a position, or guys that just make you go, hmm, maybe they've got a red flag of some kind, or maybe the red flag is imaginary. You don't really know. Just for fun, I want to talk about Caden Ellis. He is a linebacker, or is he? The Packers brought him in for a visit, and it kind of looks like he might be an off-the-ball linebacker type, but nobody's really sure. Why is nobody really sure? Because, well, Idaho wasn't even really sure what to do with him. He was a good athlete, but not like an overwhelming athlete. To the point that they could plug him in a lot of different places and just try him out and see what he did. He played a little bit of linebacker, a little bit of edge rusher, a little bit of tight end, a little bit of wide receiver for the Idaho Vandals. And coming out, he tested well, but not like overwhelmingly well either. The Packers had him in for a visit. It's not clear how they view him either. Tom Silverstein seemed to think they were looking at him as an off-the-ball linebacker type. He's probably a little bit light for an edge rusher, but who knows? Maybe he's going to be Spencer Havener and do a little bit of both in the NFL. Don't have a ton to say about this guy, but he's interesting. He's one of 12 children, and I don't know how else you sell him. He's wild. He's got a bizarre background um, in, in terms of college football. And if that's not a wild card, I don't know what it is. 
The other three guys that we're going to take a look at in this category a little bit more, I don't want to say serious because I'm not sure how serious any of these guys are, given that no one can really seem to figure out what to do with them. The next guy could be of interest for the Packers in a couple different ways. I'm talking about Tony Pollard out of Memphis. He comes up a lot in football Twitter circles. Uh, guys that or one of the guys that just seems like a football player because nobody's really sure what position he's going to play in the NFL. At six foot, 210 pounds, he kind of looks like a running back, and that's probably where you start with him. But he seems also like a true running back slash wide receiver tweener. He doesn't really run well enough to be a running back, according to a lot of scouts. But he also, according to those same scouts, doesn't really run well enough to be a wide receiver either. What he is right now is a great kick returner. The numbers almost don't look right if you look at his stats on collegereference.com. He had 87 career kickoff returns during his college career. Seven of them went for touchdowns. He averaged 30.1 yards per return for his career. In 2017, he averaged 40 yards per return. The trick is here, kickoffs are kind of going away in the NFL. And he didn't do a whole lot as a punt returner. So what do you do with a guy like that? He was productive when they gave him opportunities as a running back and as a receiver. He's also a really good kickoff returner. How much do you value a guy like that? That's the real rub here. And what kind of time do you give a guy like that to develop? It's not all that different from what the Packers had, have, still I guess, in Trevor Davis. He was not really a slam dunk as a wide receiver coming out, though he did some nice things there. He certainly wasn't a running back by any any stretch of the imagination, so he doesn't have that issue that Pollard has going on there. But he was a dynamite kick returner, and he's proven that he can still do that pretty well in the NFL. But what kind of time do you give Trevor Davis or kick returner du jour to develop into something more than that? And is it worth spending a draft pick on a guy who may never develop? Probably not, but if you want to make sure that you get him and nobody else does, well, maybe that's what you do. Maybe you burn a sixth-round pick on a guy like Tony Pollard or a Trevor Davis. He was a fifth-round pick, but you see what I'm saying? And see if he figures it out. How much time he gets to figure it out will probably depend very much on how he looks pretty early on because I think you get a pretty good idea whether or not these guys are going to figure it out early in their careers. Let's talk about two edge rusher types that have been mocked to the Packers quite a bit, starting with Rashawn Gary out of Michigan. Gary is the biggest man of mystery to me in the draft. Rashawn Gary, not our Gary. The testing numbers on Rashawn Gary sound like a top five pick. 6'4 and change, some people say he's 6'5. 277 pounds, played in the 280s in college. Ran a sub 4'6 in the 40, a monster broad jump, good agility numbers. He tests like he could be in conversation for like the third or fourth overall pick. The pedigree sounds like a guy who should have come into Michigan and just been absolutely dominant from day one. He participated in the Under Armour All-American game. It was the team highlighter MVP. He was the USA Today All-USA Defensive Player of the Year, the New Jersey Football Defensive Player of the Year in two seasons in high school. He was a high school All-American. He was a five-star consensus prospect by Rivals.com, Scout.com, 24-7 Sports, and ESPN, rated as the top 
prospect in the entire country by Rivals.com, Scout.com, and by ESPN. Uh, He was the number two in the nation and the top defensive line prospect from Prep Star Magazine. Just, it goes on and on. Everybody thought he was going to be a stud coming out of high school. But when he got to Michigan, the stats looked a little bit more like a bit player. Never had more than five and a half sacks in a season. His production ratio was just .955. That's a number that we track that measures sacks and tackles for loss against um, the number of games you play. Good pass rushers often double that or close to it. Uh, Sometimes they push 2.0 or more. You'd like to see a little bit more production out of Rashawn Gary. And furthermore, what is he? Is he a 3-4 stand-up edge type or a 4-3 end? People don't really seem to know. A lot of people think he's an edge type or the uh, the stand-up type of, of edge rushers. Others think he's the 4-3 end type. Who really knows? Probably a little bit light for the 4-3. Maybe a little bit uh, suboptimal as a 3-4 end. Lance Zerline puts it this way. A five-star defensive end prospect coming into Michigan who leaves with those same five-star traits and loads of potential but a lack of development in key areas. Taking it from a less reliable source, me, a guy who saw him play twice in the last two years, you wouldn't have even known he was on the field, either of the games where I was at the big house watching him play. He just disappears sometimes, and that's been the frustration with Rashawn Gary pretty much since he came out of high school. That seems like a big red flag if you're thinking about an edge rusher at 12. The Packers still could use some edge rush help. Is it Rashawn Gary? Kind of hope not. Let's close this out with one more guy who I've seen, although less frequently, still projected to the Packers in mock drafts. Clellan Farrell out of Clemson. More a true edge type, but still not really clear what he is. He is, in a lot of ways, a mirror image of Rashawn Gary. Clellan Farrell had great production, 27 sacks in his Clemson career, but just okay athleticism. And at 12, do you really want just okay anything? You don't want to say, yeah, but, about a guy at 12. You don't want to say, bad athlete, yeah, but he produced a lot. But he did produce a lot. Rashawn Gary's production ratio, 0.955, not so great. Clellan Farrell, 1.76, a lot better. He was getting on the other side of the line a whole lot. And he just got it done a lot in college. Nobody was really sure about his athleticism. Eh, he still did a lot of great stuff. And do you settle for a guy like that? Is that settling at all? Is he going to keep just getting it done in the pros? Interesting comparison from The Athletic. Dane Brugler compares him to Preston Smith. That's an interesting name for the Packers because he is a guy as well who didn't just have outstanding numbers coming out of college. And, you know, with the Redskins, he didn't rely on his athleticism a whole lot, but he still just got it done. But he also falls into that model of the slow burn type pass rushers. Guys who are not winning with explosive athleticism. Guys that are just kind of almost wearing you down, even on a play-by-play basis. Just getting deeper and deeper into a play. Finally working around that edge. Finally finding a little hole to get through and get to the quarterback. Somebody, it feels like, on the Packers defense needs to be that guy who just wins one-on-ones by dominating the guy across from him. That makes life easier for the defense as a whole and makes life easier for other players rushing the passer. But on the other hand, if you're the Packers and you just have waves of a bunch of unrelenting, if slow, pass rusher types, you can probably get some good results with that too. So maybe you just say, "Ah, I'm overthinking this and take Clell and Farrell. 
or another guy who may not be the most outstanding athlete in the world, but just finds a way to get to the quarterback. Either of these guys would probably be no-brainer picks at 44, but you're probably not going to have that opportunity. It's probably 12 or nothing for either of these two. Probably not going to fall to 30, and even if they do, you start to wonder at that point too if you should go in a different direction, depending on what you do at 12 overall. Maybe the Packers trade back from 12 and take one or one of these guys at 17. Maybe Brian Gutekunst doubles his two first-round picks this year into four first-round picks next year, and then eight the year after that. And then in two years after that, he's got all 32 first-round picks. Who knows? Maybe things will get really weird. We'll see. What I would like to remind everybody while I've got you here, even before we get to the draft itself, the number one thing that you should be rooting for in terms of the Packers before they are on the clock, is chaos. Things need to get weird for the Packers. And that has been true ever since they beat the Jets late last season. The Packers could be picking much higher. They're not. I don't want to have that debate again. The point is, they are picking 12th. And to get one of the truly elite players, they need some things to go their way. And you, as a Packers fan, and me as a Packers fan, and a guy who has a podcast that occasionally you listen to, thank you very much for doing that, We need to see some chaos ahead of the Packers. That could be a lot of different things. That could be trades. That could be people deciding they want quarterbacks. That could be people going on a run on offensive linemen. That even could be a guy like TJ Hawkinson going higher than he probably should. Whatever it is, chaos at the top end of the draft is going to help the Packers figure things out because it'll put more options on the board for them when their pick finally rolls around. And then things get interesting. If you've got the pick of the litter, the pick of the guys that you think you'd really like to have, and two or three of them are there at 12, do you just make the call yourself? Or do you trade back a couple slots and hope somebody else makes it for you? I think this year, trading back may not be the best option. At least not at 12. At 12, you got to get your difference maker. But it's a whole lot easier to get that difference maker if things get weird ahead of the Packers. That's all I've got for you on this episode. Thanks so much for listening and thanks to Ticket King for sponsoring us this season and for those in the future. Really appreciate everybody who's taking the time to download and listen and do all the stuff that you help do to help us keep this going. If you liked what you'd heard and want to help us keep things going, the best way to support what we do is by rating and reviewing on iTunes or wherever you listen. That helps more people find the show. If you want to take your support to the next level, the best way to do that is donating a dollar a month at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. per month is enough to offset our hosting costs, and we appreciate each and every one of you who donates. And don't forget to check out our great selection of t-shirts and sweatshirts by clicking the shop link at thepowersweep.com. If you have an idea for the show or just want to say hi, reach us at thepowersweep.com on Facebook or on Twitter or by emailing thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. We do appreciate everybody who takes the time to reach out. And as always, every bit of feedback you give helps us make Blue 58 and the Power Sweep better and helps all of us become Smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.